Well, today we're going to talk about that in the book of James. So if you would uh, turn your Bible to James chapter 5. This is an issue that James addresses as he closes this letter. Uh, last month, uh, when I spoke, I spoke on verses 13 through 18. Um, and tonight, or this morning, we're going to be um, focusing on verses 19 and 20. But just for context, if I could start reading uh, in verse 16 of James chapter 5. James says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Verse 19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, let's just pray once more. Our Father in heaven, as we uh, come to this passage in James, Father, I, um, I, I can't help but see uh, so much of your character in these two verses. Uh, Father, uh, I just think of the Lord Jesus as he would, be, he would come and be that shepherd who would leave the 99 sheep in, in, in pursuit of that one who went astray. Uh, Father, we're just so thankful that, that that is your heart. And as we look at this, Father, we realize that in order to learn from this, Father, um, we really just need to hear from you. And so, Father, we just ask that you would be the one speaking to our hearts this morning and that indeed we would just uh, walk away from here having a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ, but also one another. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we've come to the end of James. Um, and um, I've mentioned it probably every time I've spoken through this passage, but James here is speaking to the, the, the very first generation of believers. I've said before how uh, James here is speaking to people who had come out of the Jewish faith. They had come to place their saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and James is now writing to them, hoping to instruct them on how they are to live. You can imagine being in James's position. Here is this generation of Jewish people who have now been saved. And yet the temptation would be to carry in uh, the old practices of Judaism into their life, the, the practices of, of hypocrisy, for example, and all of these things. And so James, as he's writing this letter, he wants to teach these people how they are to live. And, and we're going to talk more about that. Uh, but here in James chapter 5, um, throughout the whole book of James, if you look at James, it seems that James is talking to the individual. There are times, there's probably two or three times in the book where James turns and talks to the whole congregation. So, for example, in chapter 2, you remember um, he's exhorting all of the people not to um, favor someone who is rich, for example. He turns to the whole congregation and he says, don't esteem someone highly just because they're rich. Okay, so he turns to the whole congregation. However, the rest of the book, he's really talking to the individual and he's telling them how they are to live their lives as individual children of God. However, you get to chapter 5 and at least the last half, as James is closing out this letter, he focuses on the whole congregation, and we're going to look at why he does that. But we talked about last week how um, we looked at the difficult passage of 13 through 18, just the whole idea of someone who is sick. Uh, James instructs them to call the elders, and they're going to come and pray for him and so on. Um, but he speaks to the elders restoring someone who is sick, uh, restoring someone who is sick potentially because of sin in their life, potentially because they're just, they just have this ailment naturally, not because of their sin. He talks about Elijah, who was used of God to restore a sinful nation. 
But now he turns his attention and he, he invites everyone to be included in this ministry. I just wanted to point out to you, I think it's probably one of the most important things of these two verses to notice that he's not talking to the elders. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and an elder turns him back. No, he says, and anyone among you turns him back. And that's, that's very important for all of us to know because this is a responsibility. A lot of people, they hear story, uh, passages like this, stories of like this, this dear brother from my childhood. Um, they hear stories like that and they think, man, if only the elders could have gotten there sooner. No. He turns to each and every individual and he says, this is the responsibility of everyone in fellowship at the meeting. And so we're going to look at that. There are four things I want to point out to you um, here in closing the book of James. The first thing we're going to see is the problem. Uh, We're going to clarify exactly what the problem is. The second thing is the presumption. Uh, Here, uh, James uh, presumes something to be the case, and we're going to talk about why he does so. But it's something I don't think you can assume is the case with the churches in North America today. The third thing is we're going to look at the pattern. And lastly, the proposal. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, what exactly is the problem, James? Uh, Notice in verse 19, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Well, that seems kind of vague. Uh, What does it mean to wander from the truth? Um, James actually sheds light on this in chapter 1, if you would turn to chapter 1 really quickly. That whole idea of wandering, what does that mean to wander? Well, James actually uses this word in James chapter 1, but it's translated differently. So look at James chapter 1. Uh, Like I said, we're trying to clarify what exactly the problem is. James chapter 1 and verse 16, James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's the exact same word for wander, okay? So the whole idea that James is presenting in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, you have someone in fellowship who's saved, but they wander from the truth. The whole idea is they've been deceived. They've believed the truth, but now they've been led to believe a lie. And now they are li- they've wandered from the truth, and James says you need to turn that person back. So you have this issue of someone wandering from the truth, someone who's been deceived, someone who has been led to believe a lie. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Uh, I think you can have two applications for this whole idea. Uh, to wander from the truth, to be deceived, um, you could look at this and say this is someone who has just walked away from the faith entirely. Uh, we see that in, in, in our own congregation. We see that in our own families. A lot of times people will be faithful to the meetings. They'll make professions. They'll know all the answers. And yet something happens in their life where maybe they choose to believe a lie. And that leads them to leave, leads them to um, just go down a, a terrible path, unfortunately. And so there's that whole idea of someone wandering away from the truth entirely. Someone who's just said, you know what, I'm through with all of this. I don't think this is true. I now believe this lie. So you wander away, you wander away from the faith. The next thing I think we could see is um, it's someone who wanders away, not, not necessarily from their faith, but just how they live their life, um, how, how they choose to conduct themselves. And, and the whole idea is, I know these things to be true, but I'm going to wander away from it and just decide to live in sin. And so that's the whole idea. I think you can, you can uh, look at this passage and, and look at those two ideas, someone who wanders away from the faith entirely or someone who just wanders away and just decides to live a life for themselves. Um, I really, um, really prayed about, um, and, and initially I was thinking that I was going to spend the whole time just talking about that. How do we help someone who wanders away from the faith? How do we help someone who just wanders away and decides to live a life for themselves? And initially that's what I was going to do, but yesterday I just felt that uh, we should um, 
talk about it perhaps in a different light. And so, so James reveals this problem. Here is someone who has believed the truth but has wandered away. The next thing we have to, to look at, um, I just want to get this off fairly early in the message, is James makes a presumption. Now, I really need, uh, I really, when I say presume, I really mean assume, but I needed a P. Okay, sometimes when I'm preparing a message, all I hear is my, my father-in-law in the back of my head. Okay, so I needed a P. Um, so I looked up the word presume, and it means to expect or assume something to be correct. So there we go. It's a P, but it's really assume. Okay, so, so he makes a presumption. And it's a presumption uh, that I don't think you could make today. And this is the presumption. He assumes that they would know if someone is wandering away amongst them. He assumes that they would know. Do you notice that? Um, he says, if someone among you wanders from the truth and you turn him back. The idea is, is you see this person wandering away and I grab hold of him before he can leave entirely. Um, he assumes that we would know. Now, why does he make that assumption? Um, the whole idea, you, you read in the early church, I, I want to just point this out to you. Um, in the early church, um, they were so involved and so inside one another's lives that it would be very easy for them to know if someone among them was wandering from the truth. Uh, they were constantly in each other's homes. Um, Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews tells them to exhort one another daily. I mean, it was a daily interaction. They were continuing steadfastly in fellowship. It was something that happened continually, and they were so involved in one another's lives. Um, Alfred Edersheim, uh, he's, a, he's a, a biblical scholar, I guess you could call him, but he was saved from Judaism, and he went on to just um, devote really his entire life to really helping people understand the Jewish um, the Jewish ways of living, okay? So the Lord called him out of Judaism, and he, he wrote a lot of books to help people like you and I who really have no way of knowing what the Jewish way of living was like. And one thing that he communicated in the early church when a Jewish person was saved, uh, he compared it really to, say, someone who's a, of the Muslim faith who, prays, who, who places their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we hear stories all the time of individuals saved from Islam, and what does the family do? They cast them out of their, their house. You're no longer my son. You're no longer my daughter. And, and, and you see that in the book of, in the book of Acts. As, as the gospel was going forth and a lot of people were being saved, there was immediate persecution. There was immediate opposition, and a lot of that actually took place from their fellow Jewish brethren. And, and, and so you have this idea, as you read through the book of Acts, you realize that as they met together and as they fellowshiped with one another, that was really all they had. They All they had was each other. And so here James is, is talking, and, and he, he makes the assumption that they would be very aware if someone was wandering from the truth among them. I don't think you can make that assumption in the North American church today. And here's the reason why. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine from Galilee, a dear friend, and... Um, I'm going to try my best not to give away the gender or location of this person because I know a lot of people have been to Galilee. Uh, but, this, but this person told me that they had been going to the same assembly their whole life, made, made a profession of faith at a young age. We're talking a period of, of 20 to 25 years going to the same assembly. This person said, never once has anyone really cared to pull me aside just to see how I'm doing. Never once has anyone taken me out for coffee, expressed a desire to disciple me, or just invest in my life. Never once. You're talking 20 years. Never once. 
what, what, what was the problem with this person? Well, this person came from a very faithful family, very faithful family, faithfully attended the meetings. Father was involved in preaching the word, very involved, and everyone assumed that this person was doing well. When in reality, this person struggled with a lot of things. In reality, this person really could have benefited from someone coming alongside and just saying, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Um, you can't really make that assumption today. And, and it's unfortunate. And, and I, I would like to ask you to do something today. If you would just take a look around this room. I just want to prove my point. If you could just look around this room, see who's here. Heads should be turned. You can, you can look around, literally. Uh, <laughs> um, and you just see who's here, okay? Now, I just want to ask, ask you this question. Out of everyone here in this room, how many people can you genuinely, confidently say you know where they're at in their walk with the Lord? Uh, the reality is uh, you might know a handful. And, and, I, and when I say how they're doing, I don't mean you know how their work is going. You know that their kids are just draining their energy out of them. Uh, I'm not talking about that, but, but can you look around this room? How many people, will you, can you confidently say, I know what this person is struggling with in their walk, and I pray for them? Uh, the reality is uh, there aren't many, and, and I say that to myself as well, and, and, and every uh, assembly I've been a part of, that is the case. And then all of a sudden, someone falls into sin, wanders away, and we're left here saying, I had no idea. Uh, you hear stories like that of my friend, who had been in the same assembly for over two decades, never once did anyone pull this person aside and pour into them. I hear stories like that, and it's not just the one. I think the vast majority of young people uh, in the North American assemblies probably have stories similar to that. I hear stories like that all the time, and let me tell you, it frustrates my heart and soul when I hear people ask questions like, why are all the young people leaving? Why aren't the assemblies sending missionaries out into the harvest anymore? Why are we losing a whole generation of young people? Maybe it's because no one's caring for them. And then they, they, they go into the years of high school. They go into the years of college. They're faced with all of these difficulties. They have no answers for it because no one's invested into them, and they leave. I mean, it, it, these things don't happen organically. People don't just accidentally become followers of Christ and decide to just go out and, and serve the Lord in, in the uh, in the harvest of this world. We can't expect these things to happen organically. And so I, I just want to point out to you, this was the biggest thing I noticed. You can't make that assumption that we know. And, and that, that, that convicted me a lot. And it should, and it should really challenge all of us um, to not only be in prayer for each and every person, but to pour our lives into each and every person. Uh, I, I've told you many times about my, uh, my friends back home in California. Um, I can tell you, without them, um, I probably would be a much different person. My life would be wasted. I'd be living in this world without them. Because many times they fulfilled these, these verses in my life. Uh, and we ought to do that for each other. And so he, makes, he, he poses this problem. He makes this presumption that they would know if someone among them is wandering away. We need to ask ourselves, can we say that about ourselves? Uh, these things don't happen. You can't build these relationships with people. Um, in the 30 minutes in between meetings. Like I said, Hebrews says, exhort one another daily. Be in each other's lives daily, uh, encouraging one another. And so he makes that presumption. The next thing I want you to see is the pattern. Um, I've told you before, uh, James is written before any other New Testament epistle, okay? Uh, the reason why we can say that confidently is because James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, was martyred very early in the, in the, in the um, 
uh, history of the church. So he was martyred, so he would have had to write this anywhere from 42 AD to 49 AD. And, and the reason why that's the, 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 the dating is because in 49 AD, do you remember um, something happens in the book of Acts? They, they, we, we, we know it today as the Jerusalem Council, okay? So um, Paul and I think it's Barnabas, they go on um, the, the first missionary journey, right? They're preaching the gospel. They see people saved. Churches are established. But one thing happens that kind of concerns them or maybe not concerns them, but they just are kind of confused by, and that is the fact that Gentiles are being saved and that they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And so all the apostles, uh, all the apostles get together in Acts and they start talking, okay, now do we need to, do we need to circumcise these Gentiles? Do we need to have them be under the law? These are the questions that they're asking. And James, who is a big part of that Jerusalem council, speaks out and says that's not the case. The reason why I tell you about that is because there is nothing in the book of James that really even has a hint of speaking to someone who's Gentile. Uh, not even a hint. In fact, in, in chapter 2, he, re- he says, Abraham, our father. Okay, so that seems to s- suggest that he's speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. This was speaking, he was speaking primarily to a group of people who um, had been reached with the gospel of Christ, set, pulled out of Judaism, but he's speaking to them before the gospel went forth to the Gentiles, okay? The reason why I say that is because we need to learn uh, um, what James sees in the church at this time, okay? Now, just follow me for a second. James is written before any of the Pauline epistles, okay? So think about the mysteries that Paul, Paul reveals, the, the idea that, that, that now we have the church, and in the church you have Jews and Gentiles, and in this church it's supposed to be a self-dependent, um, uh, or, I guess, organization where people are practicing their gifts and so on and so forth. James is written before any of that is revealed, Okay. Uh, here, and you think about the Jerusalem Council, the things that they're considering, the things that they're arguing over, we would consider those to be very elementary things. Do people need to be circumcised today? No. Do we need to obey the law? No. I mean, these are just basic elementary principles, but uh, these are the, so I just want you to see that um, James is written very early on, and yet James here, as he's closing this book, Like I said, he's instructing individuals on how to live a life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he's closing, he realizes that this is impossible to do alone. That's why you see in verse 16, he says, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another because you're going to have people wandering away from you and you need to be aware of those people and bring them back. Uh, The reality is the Christian life is impossible for anyone to do by themselves. And, And I just want to point that pattern out to you um, that um, that he's telling them that, um, that it should be a whole body looking out for one another, a whole body looking out for one another, because it's impossible to do alone. Now look at verse 20. Verse 20 has caused a lot of issues with a lot of people, and rightfully so. Uh, but verse 20 says, um, this is speaking of someone who goes and saves this person who's wandering away from the truth. He says in verse 20, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, people look at that and they say, oh, well, that's really interesting. So you have this idea of someone saving someone from wandering away, and in so doing, he saves his soul from death. And you have to say, well, on the contrary, if this person's wandering away and no one saves him, then by implication, this person's soul dies. And that's what people say. Now, that's a difficult, uh, that's a problem, because uh, each and every one of us here holds the position that 
once you're in Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. So, so, so what is he talking about? Um, by the way, that's not a position that we hold, that just we hold. That's a position the Bible holds, okay? Now, if you have any problems with your eternal security and you're, you're here and you're wondering, can, I, can someone lose their salvation? Uh, there's a book that Bill McDonald wrote, and I would encourage you even to go through it with your children because I know a lot of kids that get saved young struggle with this concept. But Bill McDonald has a book, and it's called Once in Christ, in Christ Forever. A very simple book. If you don't have that on your bookshelf, you should get it. Um, but you have to look at this, and you have to look at this from the whole uh, Scripture, because it is an issue. I mean, very clearly, James says, if you save this person from wandering away, you save his soul from death. You can't erase that from the Bible. So how do we answer this problem? Is James suggesting that you can lose your salvation? Um, I would strongly say no. Um, and the reason why, uh, look at Luke 17, if you would. This is the only time I'm going to have you turn outside, I think. Luke uh, chapter 17. I want you to see this whole idea. Um, if you take this verse and say that um, you can lose your salvation, I don't think it's a very strong argument because this word for soul is not always translated soul, okay? Look at uh, Luke 17. The context doesn't really matter for what we're talking about right now, but Luke 17, verse 33, I just want you to see it for yourself. The Lord says in uh, Luke 17, 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, I want you to see that that is the exact same word used in James chapter 5, when he talks about saving his soul from death. The reality is, if you look at the word soul, and you do do a word study on this in the, in the whole Bible, you would find that many times it's actually translated as life. So you can't, you can't say just from this one verse in James chapter 5 that James is saying you can lose your salvation, because you'd have to reconcile that with all of these other um, passages. Um, there's a word for life. Does anyone know what the word for life is in the Greek? Noah? What's that? Zoe. I told Maggie that's Zoe. Zoe. Um, the reason why I say that is because if you ever meet a Zoe, just know that they are named after a Greek word that means life. So in James, sorry, in John chapter 1, talking about the Lord Jesus, it says, in him was life, the light of all men. In him was Zoe. Okay? But that's not the word here. But I just want you to see that um, the whole idea of, of saving a soul from death, it doesn't necessarily mean that that his eternal Salvation is at stake here because this word is often used as life as well. Um, I just want to tell you, um, we mentioned last month of a couple that, that died. Do you remember in, 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 the gospel, uh, in, in Acts, you had a couple who lied to the Holy Spirit, right? It's Ananias and Sapphira, right? And so everyone in the church, they're selling their possessions, they're giving to the church so that they can basically um, see the gospel go out with a lot of power. And then you have this power, and you have this couple who lies about what they gave up, right? They didn't tell the whole truth, and the Lord strikes them down. Now, that happened before James was written. So I just want you to think, as these people are reading this this epistle from James, Ananias and Sapphira was probably talked about a lot by these people in Acts. Uh, It's no wonder why you read in Acts, and it says that they continued on in the fear of the Lord, right? Because people were literally being struck down for being dishonest for the Lord, and so on. And so that's what I, I that's what I think um, James is saying here in, in verse 20. Not that his eternal security is at stake, but if you save this person from wandering from the truth, you might save him from the Lord prematurely calling him home. Does that make sense? I mentioned uh, last last month that I really do believe 
sometimes the Lord calls Christians home because of their continual um, just resistance of God, their continual resistance of, of refusing to live a life for him. I really think that the Lord calls people home early because of that. And, and this is one of those verses that seems to support it. Um, all right. Are we all good? Okay. <sighs> okay. I'm trying to end on time because um, I know I've ended late for a while. Uh, the last thing is you see um, the proposal, okay? So we've looked at the problem, someone wandering away from the truth. James says you need to go after this person. But he makes the presumption that all of us would be aware of this person straying away from the truth. We saw the pattern that we should be there, that we should be able to depend on one another for encouragement, for help in living this life for Christ. The last thing we see is the proposal. Um, the question is, how do we help the wanderer? Someone who's wandering away from the truth, how do we help them? Um, I say that, I ask this question knowing that this is a question a lot of us ask because a lot of people in our families perhaps have wandered away. And the question is always, how do we help them? What can I do? It's, it's a very real question. But um, I, I said how the problem here is that someone has been deceived and they've wandered away from the truth. One simple answer to how do we help this person is in light of that, uh, we remind them of the truth. We remind them of the truth. If someone is wandering from the truth, they've, no, they've chosen to lo- no longer believe the truth, they've chosen to believe a lie, it is our responsibility and job to then point out the things that they're believing and how that's contrary to Scripture. Does that make sense? But like I said, this isn't a responsibility of just the elders. This is a responsibility of each and every person. And so in light of that, you and I have to be in the Word of God constantly, and we have to know Um, if someone chooses to believe something that is wrong, we need to ask ourselves, can we point them in the Word of God and show them why it's wrong? Does that make sense? We need to be in the Word of God constantly. I um, I, uh, have known of of quite a few people, but in this chapel I'm thinking of, there's this brother who was a deacon. Uh, He was a deacon, a dear uh, person serving serving, uh, fervently in in the, the assembly. He was really just serving the Lord, very faithful person. Um, but this person started to wander away from the truth. And um, he started to get into Greek orthodoxy and just believe all of the heresies there and is now a disciple of them. I mean, and that's happened uh, in two different churches I know of. Uh, there's another church um, that I can tell you of. A group of... Uh, a church was doing very well. There's a group of elders, and they were just, just faithfully serving the, the saints, visiting, just trying to sort out all of these issues. Well, one of the elders fell into sin. And I remember talking to one of the elders, and he said, um, he said, we were so concerned with the body of Christ, we forgot to be concerned with about each other. Uh, we need to pray for our elders. We really do. Um, but there's that whole idea. We need to be able to point them back to the truth. Uh, there's so many weird um, beliefs, so many weird things that, that, that people are being faced, uh, that people are facing in, in, in the world and in the schools and so on, and we need to be able to point them back. Um, it's interesting. James, I said how he's writing to people of the Jewish faith that have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's concerned that they'll wander away from the truth, right? Why was the book of Hebrews written? Because here is a group of believing Jews that are now wanting to go back to Judaism. The, the, that thing, that very thing that James is worried about happening actually happened to a group of Jewish believers. 
and, and, and the, you, you see it beautifully just in the word of God. That's why the book of Hebrews was written, written to a group of Jewish believers who now all of a sudden want to go back. Um, and so it's very interesting. I was thinking about that this week. So um, how do we help someone who's going astray? Um, I lied about only turning to one passage. We have time. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. This is the only time I'll have him turn. Uh, ben Ramey, I know, went through Galatians uh, with the chapel, and I missed most of it because I wasn't uh, here yet, and I regret it. But I'll have to go back and listen to it. But Galatians chapter 6, uh, this is the whole context. How do we help someone who's wandered astray uh, for the things of this world? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 kind of answers that. Uh, Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Uh, I said before how um, the pattern of the church, the, the intention that God had when designing how the church would function, it is that each member of the body would perform their spiritual gift, like Pete talked about last week, that they would be involved in serving. Well, here's this idea of here's a brother who's in a, in a, in a group of believers and he's fallen away into sin. And what's Paul's instruction? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Um, but it's very important, he says, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. The whole idea is if someone is wandering away from the truth, a mature person in Christ should pull that person aside, should be able to say, listen, brother, I'm, I'm noticing this pattern in your life, and I'm showing you in the word of God how that's wrong, and I, I just want to know if there's anything I can do to help you. Uh, is there anything I can do to keep you accountable? Is there anything I can do to, to point you back to Christ so that you can walk faithfully for him? That's the whole idea. But it's very important, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. The whole idea is, if, if this brother is struggling with a particular sin, and it's a sin I have struggled with in the past, I really need to be careful, because I'm just as susceptible to falling into sin uh, as he is. And, I, and one of my favorite verses, uh, you're going to think it's strange, this is one of my favorite verses, uh, but James, I'm oh, sorry, Galatians 6 and verse um, verse 3. It's one of my favorite verses. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Um, I think that's the whole idea where you, where you, you take upon yourself the spirit of humility, to, uh, um, recognizing the fact that if the Lord isn't here to help me, then, then I'm toast. But if you believe yourself to be something, if you think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, you've deceived yourself and you've missed it entirely. So how do we help someone who is, who is wandering away? Well, we need to be able to point them back to the truth. We need to be able to put our, our arms around them and to lovingly let them know that you're there to help them. Uh, is this something that you see in the church today? Um, like I said, James uh, points out this whole idea of committing your sin, or uh, confessing your sins to one another. Let me tell you, there's only a handful of people that I feel comfortable confessing anything to. And they're the people that I'm closest to. They're the people that I love the most and I know love me the most. I'm not going to go up to some person that uh, I'm not very close to and just tell them all my struggles in life. It's, I'm going to go to someone who I know cares for me and loves me and will be there for me. And that's why the whole idea is we need to be in each other's lives. Because we're not going, you're not going to see this happen if we, aren't, if we don't have that, that fellowship with one another and that love for one another.
So uh, that's very important. Uh, so in conclusion, in the book of James, um, the book of James has a, um, a theme that I, I think is often, um, in a sense, frowned upon today in our circles, and that is this. I heard someone say that, that there are two messages that you hear in the assemblies. Be better, and Christ is better. I agree with that completely, but the message of James is be better. Why? Because Christ didn't redeem you so that you can waste your life living it for yourself. So that's the whole idea. That's the message of James. Be better and do better. But he realizes as he's closing this book um, that you have to be there for each other because we cannot uh, walk this life um, for the Lord alone. Um, So anyways, we saw the problem, someone wandering away from the truth. Uh, He presumes that we would be aware. Can Can we make that assumption in our assembly? Like I said, looking around, can, can, can we confidently say that we know where each person is at in their walk with the Lord? Now, we say, well, the, bel- the elders better know. Well, no. James says each and every person is involved in this ministry. Uh, we need to be dependent upon one another. And finally, we need to be there to help one another when we do wander astray. Um, let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do just thank you for this opportunity to uh, open your word and just to, to see... Father, really, um, how you're so wise in how you've designed the church. Uh, Father, you have uh, designed it in such a way, Father, where it is possible for us to live lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you're a God who has equipped us to do so. But, Father, you've also designed the church in a way where we uh, should be there to help one another. Father, we just ask that if there is someone among us who is wandering away, um, Father, would you just show, show us who they are? Would you give us wisdom, Lord, in knowing how to uh, deal with one another who, who might be straying away? Father, we know that it's, um, it's so easy uh, to fall into sin, to fall in love for the things of this world. Uh, but, Father, we just ask that, that we wouldn't lose one person in this congregation to the world, to the flesh, or to the devil. But each and every one of us, Father, will give an account uh, for all that you have uh, blessed us with at the judgment seat of Christ. Father, that we will be able to say that we served well and we ran well. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.